Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Sam Ewing once said, On the plains of hesitation bleached the bones of countless millions who at the dawn of decision sat down to wait and waiting died. Boy, that's exciting, huh? I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts by way of email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what's the topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, is he who hesitates really lost? The story of Lot. Our theme text is found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. He rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Okay, is he who hesitates really lost? Folks, you know, life is overflowing with opportunities, and I'm not talking about the big things that change your world. What I'm talking about are the small and often overlooked chances in your everyday to refocus on the good or to simply be kind or to evaluate a a conversation rather than diminish it. The point here is that many of our life experiences blossom out of small decisions that are actually results of indecision. In the Old Testament, there lived a man named Lot, whose life was an example of this. Lot had faith in God, and God protected him. In spite of his faith, his life experiences produced much sadness folly, and cause for regret. So coming up in today's podcast, did you ever want something so much that you just went for it because you knew you just had to have it? In segment two, we're going to see this very thing happen to Lot, Abraham's nephew. So stay with us and see how something so good can turn out, well, not so good. How about this? Did you ever make a decision that felt right but wasn't and then tried to cover up the real consequences of that decision when others came along to look things over? Lot does this very thing. In segment three, we're going to see him try and hide some pretty bad things from God's angels. Not exactly a wise idea, you know, just just saying. And finally, how about this? Have you ever needed to abandon a bad choice? but try to find ways not to. You guessed it, in our last two segments, Lot, again, does exactly that. And wait till you see what happens. So, Rick, how did Lot get to such an end? He hesitated. He hesitated when it came to godly choices, and he constantly did almost enough when it came to godly actions. And, Jonathan, we're going to be talking about almost enough a lot in uh, no pun intended in this in this podcast. By the way, it's good to have you back. I know you were not able to be with us last week. I'm glad you're back uh, sitting across from me here. And uh, Julie did a wonderful job, you guys. Great podcast. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. Um, okay, so Jonathan, let's get to the story of Lot. And, and, and to start, now this is an Old Testament story, but we want to reference Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. We won't read it, but Jesus is giving the parable of the ten virgins 
in, in Matthew 25, 1-13. And while all of these virgins represent the called and chosen, five of them end up being completely faithful, but five end up doing almost enough, just like you said about Lot earlier. And we believe that this shows us the difference between having faith, the almost group, and having conviction built upon faith, those who were completely faithful and entered in in the parable. Lot's story illustrates the difference between these two groups for us. So that's a good place for us to start as a backdrop. We're, we're, we're looking at this, this uh, story of Lot in, through the eyes of New Testament Christianity, and, and we'll, we'll unfold it as we go. So let's drop into the story of Lot. Now, he lives at the same time as Abraham, who before his name was changed to Abraham was Abram. So before Abram left his father's house, remember that's when he goes to be blessed, his father left his own house. So we're going to drop in on Genesis chapter 11, verses 26 to 32. Terah, the name which means station, lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, so pause right there for a second. So Jonathan, what, we, what, what that's showing is, is that Abram was Lot's uncle. Okay, because right. Lot is the grandchild of Terah and Abram is a son of Terah. Go ahead. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, so we have Terah, the grandfather of Lot, who's the dad, the father of Abram, uh, taking Abram and Lot and their families away from where they were, away from Ur. So let's. Why do they leave? Well, there's. It just says they leave. So there's some speculation by commentators. Let's go to Albert Barnes to just get a sense of one of the reasons that they may have left. The inhabitants also of Ur had fallen into polytheism, or, if we may so speak, alothism, the worship of other gods. Terah had himself been betrayed into the compliance with this form of impiety. So it's interesting, you know, they leave a place that's really not in great shape in terms of, of uh, godliness. But it also says Terah, the Abram's father and Lot's grandfather, was, was very much uh, affected by these things. But they leave anyway. So Lot is part of his father's house with Abram, and they walk away from, they flee this idolatrous situation. Which is a good thing, Rick. Yes, it is. It's, you know, when there's idolatry, it's always good to go the other way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this gives us a beginning that makes it understandable to trace Lot's actions in contrast to Abram's actions regarding faithfulness. So, Jonathan, one of the things we want to do with the story of Lot is compare what he does, what he says, how he acts, what he thinks, with what Abram or Abraham does, what he says, how he acts, 
and how he thinks. So as we go through the story, we're going to have this comparison between these two guys, and the comparison is really going to show us one guy who's ultimately incredibly, totally, awesomely faithful, that's Abraham, Mm -hmm. and one guy who's loved by God but makes a ton of mistakes, and that's Lot. We're going to compare the two and look at that through the eyes of our own Christianity. So in stories like this, a lot of times names mean something. So let's take a moment. Let's go through. Lot's father's name was Haran. What what does that mean? It means mountaineer. Okay. Just so a guy from the mountains. Right. And Lot's name, Lot himself, what does his name mean? Well, Rick, this is interesting. It means covering. It's like, okay, so where are you gonna where are you gonna go with that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so let's think about it. Haran was um Lot's father. Now, Haran dies, and that's why uh, um, Terah takes Lot instead of his father, because, you know, his father is gone. So Lot is a covered one, okay? It means covering. And who's the son of a mountaineer? Okay, again, taking the names and saying, okay, is there something there that we can learn from? And I think the answer is absolutely yes, if we pay close attention. So he's the son of a mountaineer, and that's a guy, a man who lives in the mountains, his heritage, Lot's heritage and his name represent to us a close-knit relationship to God through Christ. And Rick, in saying that, is it because there's a scripture, God dwells in the mountains? Is that how you're tying it in from that mountaineer yes. um, name? Okay. But covering, uh, I was thinking covered by what? Jesus' sacrifice? Is, is that another connection that you see? Well, and, and I think that's exactly right. And I think what we're going to see, and again, if we go back to the theme scripture, you know, Second Peter 2, 7, it says he rescued righteous lot, righteous lots, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men from Sodom. We're going to get there in a, in, in, in a little bit. But you're seeing righteousness in lot. Righteousness in the New Testament is only in the context of the covering of Jesus. Good point. Because none of us is righteous. There's none righteous. No, not one. So, yeah, I think that when we look at Lot, we can see him representing that those who have been made righteous by Jesus, whose heritage is in the mountains, where God, where God well, dwells. Yeah, it's nice. a, to me, it seems to make really, really, really good sense. So, as our story unfolds, we can really see how privileged and cared for Lot was within his family's structure. Lot is in very good company. What could possibly go wrong when you hang out with Abraham? (laughs) We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time, then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. You know, as we look at the story of Lot and the picture, we all are usually in very good company when we come to Christ and decide to follow him. We readily embrace the changes that spirituality requires, and we generally flourish in the company of others, other Christians who are called as we are. And then something happens. God tests our character. And you say, oh, the nerve, (laughs) you know, but that's what faithfulness is really all about. We have to be 
willing to be tested because it's about walking in the footsteps of Jesus. So again, as we look at this story of Lot, we want to see it through the eyes of our own Christianity. And we're seeing a guy who was righteous, but we were telling you ahead of time, he made a ton of mistakes. And these are the things that we want to be able to learn from. So, Jonathan, before we get into the story itself, let's take a moment. Let's go to, um, from YouTube, The Lethal Cost of Delay, because we really are talking about hesitating, and, you know, is he who des- hesitates really lost? So, The Lethal Cost of Delay by Dr. Ken Christian, uh, and he's talking about hesitation and procrastination and an old saying that is very familiar. There's an old saying, he who hesitates is lost. She who hesitates is lost too. There is no good thing that comes out of hesitation, postponement, delay. These are habits that erode your capacity to be present and to make decisions and take responsibility for them. You don't need more time most of the time. You do not need to tell yourself you've got to mold something and sit on it. If it feels like a good decision, here's what research shows. You are better off taking action and deciding now. Now, you know, we have to be careful with that because, you know, with a Christian, you've got two, two minds. So you've got to be careful that you're using the mind of Christ where it feels right, not the fleshly mind where, heck, of course it's going to feel right because I'm going to make my flesh feel better. You know, we've got to be really, really, really cautious in, in that area. Well, Rick, um, a, a question. Why this story? What was it that jumped out at you that created this subject? And, you know, here we are Christians, and we're looking back at an Old Testament story. You know, where did you see the value? Well, the, I, that's, that is a good question. The value comes from, from, from the New Testament. The New Testament actually tells us to do that. Again, Second Peter 2.7, when he talks about rescuing righteous Lot— who was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, the men of Sodom, it's giving a sense of, it's a comparison for us to look at, to draw from. Also, in, 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 in Jesus' prophecy of his own return in Matthew 24, he says at one point, and he talks about remembering Noah in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the return of Jesus, uh, of his own return. And then he goes on, and he says in the days of Lot, and he says, remember Lot's wife. So why does Jesus say that? And by look, in looking at that, it was like, okay, well, what was it about Lot's wife? And that sort of triggered looking because Jesus tells us and Peter tells us, look at Lot and draw lessons for your Christian life. And that's what we're doing. It's like following instructions. Nice. <laughs> okay, so look, you know, we all know the story of how time went by. You know, Lot and Abram, Abraham, or Abram at this point still, um, Terah dies, and then they leave Abram's father's house, and they're going to go make their way toward the promised land. And their flocks and their families and their servants and all of their households are growing, and they need to separate for the sake of their households and flocks because things were getting confused and people were starting to argue and fight with one another, so they can't keep everything together. So Abram gives Lot the choice of, okay, we need to spread our households out. I'm going to give you the choice of which direction. And Rick, that jumped out at me, showing um, the you know the quality of selflessness yeah. and uh, in honor, preferring one another. It didn't matter to him because God was leading him in his life. Yeah, yeah. So, so wow, isn't that a, an awesome lesson to draw? Yeah. So you've got you've got the mountainous country and the the green, lush pastures. So let's see what Lot chooses. Genesis chapter thirteen, verses eleven to thirteen. 
So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Okay, so it starts out, the scripture starts out, he's, he's, he chooses all the valley of Jordan and he goes, but then it says he settles in the cities uh, in, of the valley and he moves his tents as far as Sodom. So Lot saw two things before him in the direction that he decided to take because Abram did give him a choice. What were those two things? Well, Rick, first he saw space, fertile ground, and an opportunity to flourish. Uh, how about happy wife, happy life? Well, you think about it. <laughs> if you tell your wife, hey, hey, honey, listen, just got back from the flocks. I was talking to Abram. We need to sp split up because things are too confused. He's giving me a choice. Do we want to stay in the mountainous country where it's really hard or take a look down there? Wouldn't you love to live down there? And she's like, "Oh, honey, of course." You know, so I mean, choose that. Yeah. Well, and I'm making this up, obviously, but <laughs> the idea is it was the physically nicer choice that he took. Now, is there is there something inherently wrong with lush pastures? No, nothing at all. But there is something wrong. Well, what was the next thing that he saw? Well, the second point, Rick, he saw clearly defined settlements of evil. Lot, son of the mountaineer, chose the valley to live right up alongside an even worse idolatrous environment than the one they left. Yep. Uh, he was already removed from that idolatry, and now he puts himself in harm's way again. In a worse way. So, yes, he makes a choice, and we say, okay, nothing wrong with the valley, but he, it says in the scripture, and he moved his tents as far as Sodom. So it gives you the sense that he kind of caught up close and cozy with Sodom. Now, uh, you know, it doesn't say he's in Sodom at this point, but he moves his tents as far as Sodom. So as we go through the story of Lot, Jonathan, there's going to be a tragedy we're going to talk about, there's going to be a victory we're going to talk about, and then there's going to be a question for me as a Christian we're going to talk about. And the tragedy we're going to call the tragedy of not quite. So what's our tragedy of not quite in this part of the story? Lot rationalized a choice to move closer to centers of evil in exchange for greater opportunity to physically flourish next to Sodom. See, he's up close, but he's not involved. Lot could have stayed further away. His choice was not quite enough to keep him from evil. Almost, but not quite. Next to the tragedy of not quite, which always applies to the choices and decisions of Lot, we have what applies to the choices and decisions of Abraham, the victory of conviction. And what is that in this part of the story? Abram was unattached to any earthly real estate. His only desire was to maintain unity between all who were journeying towards God. So he didn't care if he got the better land or the worst land. What he cared about is, let's keep our families friendly toward one another because we're brethren. You know, and it gives you a sense that his, his thinking is just higher. And he was like, you know, God will take care of all of us anyway. So you choose and I'll be happy. And you're right. You said it before. That's a really powerful place to be. And Abraham did choose that. So now here's the question. What's my choice when faced with this kind of thing? Do I set my own course down a spiritually sound path, or am I not quite on that path? 
Are my choices for the good of my family on all levels or are they not quite good enough? See, when you think about it, Lot could have chosen the 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 lush fields and the and the pasture and the valley and not cozied up to the evil city. But he didn't do that. And so it gives you a sense that he made a good choice for his family and then he allowed that choice to get sullied because he got too close. And it just and ended up being a bad place instead of a good place. So Rick, where did the saying he who hesitates uh is lost. Do you know where that came from? Yes, I do. And I'm going to tell you not yet. <laughs> Next segment. Not, how was not, not quite not, yet. Yeah, not quite. <laughs> the tragedy of almost. <laughs> We're not going to quite tell you now. But it, it's, it's a cool saying. And, and I actually looked it up because I was curious, like, okay, where did this come from? But yeah, we'll get to that uh, next segment. Okay, so Jonathan, they they split up, and we've already got a little bit of tragedy going on because Lot is getting too close to things that are bad. So now we go to Genesis chapter 18. And again, we see a stark contrast between Abraham and Lot. This is many years later, and Abraham is now Abraham instead of Abram. And Abraham unknowingly is visited by three angels who tell him of the coming birth of Isaac. Abraham sees these guys come. Now, he doesn't know they're angels, but they're strangers, and he sees them come, and he jumps up to serve them. And Rick, an important point to know is Abram was at the door of the tent, right, waiting. Yeah, he was just sitting at the door of his tent. These these three strangers come, and he jumps up to serve them. And you know, we're only going to read one text from this this section, but if you read the texts around it, you can see that he's literally rushing around, saying, "Prepare this, get this ready, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up." Genesis 18.8, we'll just read one scripture to just kind of illustrate it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. So the calf was prepared by, by his family or his servants or whomever, but, and he was, he was pushing everybody to go quickly, get this done, get this done. And I love the fact that it says, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. He was serving them. Right. He was there to be. Now, he doesn't know they're angels at the very beginning, okay? He, he sees this, and he just, you, so you can see the character of Abraham just, just kind of flowing out of him. So as the visitor, visitors are now leaving him, one of them stays behind a little bit and tells him about Sodom's pending destruction, Okay. Then in Genesis 18, verses 16 to 18, and verses 20 to 23, comes Abraham's famous plea for the lives of any innocent uh, in, in relation to the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, so what this shows us is God's love for his chosen is really evident. Abraham's love for all people is evident as he proceeds to bargain with the Lord. And that was like the, the chief of the three of the, the, the messengers. And this shows us Abraham's deep respect for God and acquiescence to his will. And, and remember that story, Jonathan. He says he starts out, what was it? He started out with how many? 50? Uh, what was it? 50? If yeah. there are 50 righteous, would yeah. you, won't you save the city? Yes. And, and so, and so the, 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 the representative says, of course, we, we'll save 50. And, and Abraham thinks, uh, well, okay, okay, wonderful. But, but wait, wait. But what if there's only 40? Because, I mean, you know, 10. I mean, come on. And, you know, so he, he keeps going down the ladder. <laughs> yeah. And he gets down to 10. <laughs> yep. And, and it's still said, okay, if there are 10 righteous, we'll save the cities. So God is caring for Abraham. 
he's showing Abraham respect by looking, listening to him. And that, that's a wonderful, wonderful experience. And of course, God is listening through his representative there. So now Lot sees, go down in, in the valley. Now Lot sees the two angels and jumps up and serves them with reverence when they show up, but in a slightly different manner. But Rick, weren't there three angels? Yes, there were. So where was the other one? Talking with Abraham about the destruction. <laughs> so <laughs> one stays behind and lets Abraham debate with him. And the other two go on down to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to really take a look at what's going on down there. And we find this in Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, when they arrive in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down and his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. So it's interesting. There's a great similarity to Abraham here. You know, each is sitting in the entrance of his home. Now, Abraham was sitting in the entrance of the tent that he lived in, and a tent is what? His, his home. His temporary dwelling. A tent is something that can be moved, okay? But, um, um, and, and, and Lot is sitting in, this, in the gate of the city of Sodom. It's the gate of his city now, because he now has a home inside of Sodom. Oh, so he moved from the tent outside. Yes, he to, did. Ooh, okay. Okay. He just got pulled in. Both display reverence and warm hospitality, but it seems as though Lot may be doing this in a little bit different way than Abraham. You know, he's kind of saying, you know, and obviously I'm going to, you know, make this up. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Come to my house, relax, eat, sleep, and then leave at the crack of dawn. You know, and maybe he's thinking, don't stay here. It's too evil. It's too dangerous. I'd love to entertain you. I'll feed you. I'll give you a place to sleep. I'll protect you. And then I want you out. And don't don't watch what goes on at night around this place. Yeah. Yeah. So he is looking at being very, he's being hospitable. He's being righteous. He's being protective. But what did the angel say to him? They said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. And, you know, that's not what Lot wanted to hear. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, and because they were there, they were about the business of judging the evil of the city. They were there to see it and to see if, to, to be able to say, yes, it is as evil as the reports have been. What does Lot do? Well, he gets really strong, Rick. He says, yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Okay, so it's like, whew. Kept, <laughs> really, I mean, can you just put yourself in Lot's place? It's like, whoa, man, that was close. Kept them from danger. See, Lot is righteous. He knows evil when he sees it, but he just happened to move in right next door to it. But he's, he's not in, engaging in it, but he's surrounded by it. So he's almost the same as Abraham, but not quite. <laughs> not Just, quite. See, and that ends up being the theme. And in our Christianity, we have to look at the not quite when we compare complete faithfulness to where our life is. Because there is a tragedy Okay, there's a tragedy when we get into this not quite thing. I mean, Lot's dwelling, like we said earlier, is no longer a tent outside of the city, but it's a house 
inside of the city. I mean, how did that happen? What happened that he took his temporary dwelling place that was near the city and ended up having an actual house inside of the city? Maybe worldly temptation. You know, it's hard to say, but the fact is he was inside the city. So let's look at, again, from the standpoint of our own Christian lives, the things that we need to be aware of, the tragedy of not quite. What is it here? While Lot settled outside the evil place, over time he became established within the evil place. Okay, so Lot was not quite safe and most likely did almost enough to keep evil out. The conviction of his pleading is a result of his previous lack of conviction. So, you know, what's happening here is he just doesn't have the conviction of his faith to take that really firm, hard, strong irrevocable stand. He just doesn't seem to have it. Compare that to Abraham and the victory of his conviction. What's the difference? Abraham was blessed to begin the lineage of the faithful. He was also blessed to plead with God, who by the giving of Isaac would solve the evil of the likes of Sodom. And we're going to get more into that as we go. But, you know, so you've got the comparison, the tragedy of not quite and the victory of thorough, faithful conviction. So now, here's the big question. What's my choice as a Christian? Do I plant myself too close to the line, and then, as time goes on, allow that line not only to creep towards me, but actually surround me? Folks, we have to ask ourselves that question, because that's a question that Lot fell into. That's a situation that we don't want to be in. Are my spiritual defenses not quite strong enough, not quite clear enough, not quite held tightly enough to keep me far away from evil? Or if I moved right up close and personal with it? So important, important thinking here. Lot's righteousness really does shine out here. The experience shows his awareness of the surrounding evil. The pressure building upon Lot's shoulders must have been immense. Could he keep his guests safe? Rick and Jonathan are so busy analyzing how today's issues can be solved by a scriptural approach, they naturally don't talk a lot about who they are in daily life. So that's my job. Here's a couple facts you may not have known about your two hosts, such as, for some reason when Rick wears a tie, it always has an animal on it. Why? We don't know. That's just his preference. Now, Jonathan may not love animal ties, but he has a cool rescue dog named Beta. And now you know more about your Christian Questions hosts. Talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan. You know, when we step back and look, we can see Lot really stepping up here. We don't know if he knew his guests were angels, but we do see his zeal, his energy to keep them safe. This conviction would be tested further in the next turn of events because evil has a way of building strong and dark momentum and wherever there is evil there is always momentum and you may not see it but it's always there and the story of lot really really shows us that and rick he did call those two people walking toward the city my lords yes and he was bowing down so he knew there was something about them. Yes. Yeah. Like you said, maybe not angels, but he knew they were probably godly. 
And he treated them with incredible respect. And you got to give him a lot of credit for that. Lot was righteous. Because, you know, we're talking about a lot of his mistakes. You can't overlook the good parts. He was a good man, but he just didn't have the conviction to take that goodness and follow it all the way through. Okay, Jonathan, he who hesitates is lost. Where does it come from? All right. Side note, the saying, he who hesitates is lost, as best as we can tell, is an adaptation from Joseph Addison's play, Cato, in 1712. The woman that deliberates is lost. Okay, so that's where we think the stay, it came from, did a lot of looking, and everybody seemed to say the same thing. So just so you know. That's he where who hesitates is lost. And Lot, again, is a story of great hesitation. Let's go to a, a YouTube uh, video from Mel Robbins. This one brain hacked by science will change your life. Um, hacked backed by science will change your life. And he's talking about bias toward action, talking about just making things happen. Uh, this is fascinating stuff. So the question becomes... How do you create an internal locus of control in yourself? The answer is simple. It's called a bias toward action. So a bias toward action is a psychological principle that means you're the kind of person that has a bias toward taking action instead of a bias toward thinking. How do you create a bias toward action? You guessed it. The five-second rule. The five-second rule is a tool that will teach you how to take action. And over time as you use it, you not only learn how to take action, you become the kind of person that operates with a bias toward taking action. And when you take action over and over and over on your instincts, on your desires, on your commitments, guess what you get? You build an internal locus of control. Now, now, now she's talking about this five-second rule. It's her rule. She wrote a book about it. It's really fascinating. And the idea is to count five, four, three, two, one. And then you do something. And it's, it's the programming of your mind. So it's really a fascinating concept. And the idea is hesitation keeps us from action. And Lot is a great example, unfortunately, of a lot of that kind of hesitation, as we will see. So let's continue in Genesis 19, verses 4 and 5. Now here, So remember, the angels are there. They're guests of Lot. And the men of Sodom surround Lot's house. And righteous Lot stands up before these wicked men, all by himself. And now he pleads with them to not act wickedly. So let's just take a quick look, Jonathan. Let's compare the pleading of Abraham and the pleading of Lot, because they both did some pleading in, 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 this, in this story. You're right, Rick. Abraham pleaded with the Lord about saving righteous men from among the wicked. Remember, you know, if there's 50, if there's 40, if there's 30. So he's... Look, go ahead. No, go ahead. So, so he's, 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 he wants life to be saved and you know because it's precious to him yes what about lot's pleading well lot pleaded with wicked men to not act wickedly almost the same but not quite not quite okay so to appease the wicked men lot offers his daughters to them wow that is a terrible decision that's messed up yeah, that's thoroughly, totally. We were just talking about how how lots of righteous man, but that is oh. messed up. And you know, and I think that tells us that shows us this is a righteous man cracking under extreme pressure. 
I think he doesn't know what else to do, and he is cracking because it's too intense. It's overwhelming him. Had Lot not made his home in the very lap of evil, such a traumatic event and such a gross compromise would have never even come up. Wow. Look at the consequences of our actions, Rick. Yeah, and, and as a Christian, we have to ask ourselves, have I planted myself too close or in the place where evil can surround me and do I end up making those decisions and those choices under the pressure of these things? So what happens is these men outside of Lot's door rebel against the, the pleading of Lot. No, and then they're saying, who do you think you are telling us how to act? And now they're going to try to break the door down. They're mad. They're not only after these guys, but they're mad. So what happens? Genesis 19 verses 10 through 16. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were on the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So they were wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. So now we see the angels in action. They literally reach out of the door. You don't see them. They just see their arm and you're just yanking Lot inside, closing the door. And then the wickedness is struck Blind. So the angels have shown themselves to have this incredible power. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were to marry his daughters and said, Get up, out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appears to his son-in-laws as being jesting. So, so I mean, let, let's put this in perspective. So the angels see enough, and they say to Lot, who else, who else is here, members of your family? And, um, and you know, it, it's hard to say if the sons-in-law were married to other daughters or they were supposed to marry the two daughters he had with them. It's really there's 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 uh, confusion on that, and it's not a clear point. So I'm going with the idea that they were engaged to the two daughters that were in the house. Don't know okay. that for sure. Don't, but the the point is still the same. He's saying you got your two daughters here. Go get your sons-in-law. And and in those days, if there was a betrothal, you know, you talked about them as though they were already married, even though they weren't. So um, Lot goes to see his sons-in-law and says, "We got to get out of here." And they think he's making a joke. See, now those were who were important to Lot, they didn't believe him. Oh, His, wow. That must have been heartbreaking. Well, but you know, where are they from? They're from the city. Of Sodom. So what do you expect? His sons-in-law were sodomites. They seemingly had no respect for righteous Lot and his warnings. They probably would have been informed of the blindness of you know what had happened at Lot's house earlier that night upon the men of the city, but they were at home and comfortable, and it was too easy to just not care and to laugh it off. Whoa. So you have right mistake. <laughs> you have righteousness trying to protect life. And the life it's trying to protect, laughing at it. Well, you know, Lot put himself in that context he did. of unbelievable. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's, that's sad. Yes, absolutely. He he was unbelievable because the the darkness reigned so freely there. Like, oh come on, really get out of here. So the tragedy of not quite again from the story of Lot from his life 
to our Christian ears. What is that tragedy? Lot obeyed his commission and spoke the truth. But because of the environment that he consciously placed himself, he was not quite able to convince them. Okay. You know, he just wasn't able to get over the hump with them. He was, it was, again, another not quite. He had facts. He had angelic presence. And he couldn't take those things and make it so that they understood. That's a tragedy. It's just a tragedy. On the other side, you have the Abraham perspective. Abraham's not even here, but he had experience along the same lines. The victory of conviction with Abraham was what? Abraham's plea was comforted as his righteousness shone through. Remember, he had plead, pleaded for the life of the righteous, and he, it would be answered. So the victory was he asked for the right things because he was in the right frame of mind and because he was all about honoring God before the tragedy came up. See, Lot was about honoring God quietly in his own household, uh, surrounded by darkness and evil, and he just never did anything to get away from it. So we have to ask ourselves, do I find myself in that kind of environment with my Christianity? Have I planted myself in the city of Sodom in my own life? Ask ourselves that question. What's my choice here? Do I obediently speak the truth, but from a compromised position? You know, whenever we speak truth from a position of compromise, it doesn't come across with the same authority as speaking truth from a position of strength and honor and respect. And so Lot, even though he was righteous and even though God loved him, because he was living in the city, his, his, his authority to be able to, to bring truth to them was severely, severely uh, thwarted. And, you know, it's a sad, sad ending as a result. So here's where we see a powerful symptom of not quite begin to unfold. I mean, you think not quite has been bad up to this point? You wait, okay? Not quite is going to get really, 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 really bad. The symptom is expressed in the attitude of hesitation. This becomes a theme now for the rest of the story of Lot, the attitude of hesitation. So we're going to continue in Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 and 16. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Now, <laughs> he hesitated. Now, this is what we, and you, you like to, to use this word, Jonathan. This is a sila moment. What, what, is that, right. what does that word mean? Pause and consider. Right. <laughs> you know, you see that in the, in the book of Psalms. Oftentimes there's, there's verses and then the word sila. And that means stop. Just think about what you just read. He hesitated. After all that Lot had seen and had been given, he was still attached. So the men seized his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of the two daughters from the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. So he's hesitating, but the angels know there's no time for hesitation because they told him unequivocally, you have to get out. Well, what happens if there's a fire in your house, Rick? What, what do I take? What do I grab? I mean, would you hesitate to say, I got to grab the whatever? Yeah. yeah, or do you get out? 
Or do you get out? Because you save yourself yeah. and harm harm from your family. Yeah. Well, you know what? And, and it really comes down to when you see the moment in front of you unfolding with such drama and such tension, you can't stop to think. You know, and, and Jonathan, just a, just a quick side story. Personally, uh, last year we had a, a tornado come through our, our neighborhood, and it really didn't touch down, but it was over our house. And I was watching out the window, and because I love storms. And I didn't know it was a tornado, and but I there came a moment where I could no longer hesitate, and the moment was when I heard trees breaking, and I thought I got to go downstairs right now. And that was I was dying to watch, but I figured if I was dying to watch, I might end up dying. So I ran downstairs because you know the moment is it's not okay. What should I gather up? It's get out of here now. And how many trees were knocked down? Oh, we had between like 18, did you say? Yeah, 20 trees on, on our wow. property were just where the tops came off or they just came right down and they fell all around the house. Just, uh, but, but not on it. <laughs> no, not on it, by God's grace. This time we were spared. But you know what? The, the point is when the moment is there and the angels were there saying, you have to leave now. So they grabbed them. And they pulled them out of the city. Lot unsuccessfully warned others to leave, but when it came right down to it, he himself had second thoughts. He and his family literally had to be dragged out of the city like a little kid having a tantrum being dragged out of the store. I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, what's the tragedy of not quite here? Lot here displayed faith, but not full conviction. Again, his faith is present, but his conviction is lacking. Meanwhile, the victory of conviction regarding Abraham is what? Well, Abraham is not even a factor in this part of the story. Why? He was safe and he was fully convicted that the mercy and judgment of God would rightly prevail. So Abraham didn't have to do anything. There was no choice for him. There was no thinking. There was no wondering. There was no, should I take my stamp collection with me? There was just the peace of God because he was far away, because he chose to live a harder life in the mountain areas that were far away. And that's the difference. Folks, what's my choice as a Christian? Do I tend toward the Lot approach or do I tend toward the Abraham approach? Go ahead. What's my choice? Do I have the genuine conviction of faith needed when I have a thus saith the Lord before me. All right. So, so Jonathan, you, you said, when I have a thus saith the Lord before me, what, what does that mean, thus saith the Lord? Well, my take is it's a, it's a focused direction from God, his will being done in us, the spirit guiding us to do something and knowing this is the Lord's will. And so when we've got God's spirit clearly before us, am I going to hesitate or am I going to just simply act? This is one of the big, big lessons of the life of Lot. The decisive action required on the part of Lot is not easy for him. Would you have an easier time if you were so attached? Lot has now seen a miracle of protection, and yet he hesitated. What could he have been thinking? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. 
We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian Questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. While we cannot determine Lot's thoughts, we can observe his situation and speculate some. Lot had lived in this environment for some time and was comfortable. His whole way of life was now set for destruction. Perhaps he believed the angels, but was not convicted enough to decisively walk away. So the belief in the angels was there, but the conviction to actually take physical action wasn't there. And that's a tragedy. That is. But again, folks, in our Christian lives, do we have the lot attitude when it comes to walking away from the darkness that may be close by to us? Let's go to back to Mel Robbins and her five-second rule. This one brain hack backed by science will change your life. And, uh, you know, she's talking about just the, the thinking process in, in being able to take action, something lot obviously was not very good at. The third principle is do good, be good. Now, this is a principle that I first learned about from legendary psychological researcher and University of Virginia professor Timothy Wilson. Basically, it means that you can't think your way to being happier or better. You actually got to do something. Now, this do good, be good philosophy dates all the way back to Aristotle, and it's based on the belief and now the proven technique that in order to change, you can't think your way to being more positive. You've got to do things. You've got to act, and then your mind will follow. Do good to be good. See, there is such power in that little principle, especially when we drop it into this story and we look around. You know, it's like dropping a drone into the story and kind of observing, saying, wow, there's not a lot of doing good and being good here. So there's choices are harder. Show me your faith by your works. Yes, exactly. For us, that's the point. And when we are faced with the darkness that's around us in the world, are we curious about it? Are we comfortable with it? Or do we stay far away from it like Abraham did? Now, the account of Lot goes on with more hesitation. Already he's, he had to be dragged out, you know, literally, literally dragged out of the city. Genesis nineteen seventeen to 22. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Okay, that's a clear, life-altering, three-part command. Don't look back leave the valley, go to the mountains. Pretty straightforward, right? Right to the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no wasted words here, okay? No, there aren't. <laughs> okay, very clear. So you'd think that, okay, I've got my commands. What happens? But Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords. Now, now wait a second, Rick. <laughs> I have to interrupt myself here. Oh, no, Jonathan, what are you doing? You're taking <laughs> on my habits. <laughs> Did he actually say, oh, no, to the angels that just saved them and dragged them out of the city, fleeing for his life? Really? 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 Here's, what, here's why. And let's look at the why, because he gives the why. 
Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown by my saving, saving of my life. Okay. Okay. So, so, so let's pause there. So he's saying, look, uh, I know that I found favor with you. You have, you have been incredibly good to me. You've saved my life. So he gets it. He understands that they're there and they are saving his skin. But why does he say, oh, no? <laughs> okay, because there's a but that follows. Let's go on to oh. the next part of the scripture. All right. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. It is it not small that my life may be saved? So he's saying, but... It's an awful long way for me to go to the mountains. Why can't I go just go to that city that's over there? It's a little city. It's not as big as this city. It's a little city. And maybe I can go there and escape instead of having to go all the way to the mountains because I really don't know about going all the way to the mountains. And I know you're here to save my life, but can't I go to that little city instead? Well, do you think the angel would have told him to flee to the mountain if he wouldn't make it? See, that's a really important point. <laughs> you know, you'd think that the, you get the sense that the angel knows what they're, the angels know what they're doing. Yes. But lots afraid, lots attached, lot is second guessing. Do we as Christians do that? Let's continue verses 21 and 22. He said to him, behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zor. Which means tiny or small. So, you know, Lot, remember, Lot has a history of fleeing wickedness. First, it was with his grandfather, Terah, and second was with Abraham from the land of his father's house. And now he's again fleeing evil and destruction. So there are three relocating experiences that were directed in Lot's life by the hand of God. Now, remember, we looked at Lot as the covered one, and that covering was what? Was it Jesus' sacrifice? So we look at it in the picture of Christianity. His name means covered. So the covering of Jesus' sacrifice. He was the son of a mountaineer. And what does Which, that mean? You, God dwelt in the mountains, so definitely um, faith-based. Right, son of godliness, essentially. And he's pleading to not go to the mountains, but instead to a tiny city. And maybe perhaps showing lesser sinfulness, but still, it's not the refuge of the mountains. It's not the place he was told to go. Which he should have done. But here's the question, Jonathan. Do we get stuck in the tragedy of not quite and not fully following through on the things that we should do? We can look at Lot and say, shame on him. The question is, what about me? That's the real question. So what's the tragedy in Lot's life of the, uh, the tragedy of not quite here in this part of the story? Well, Lot had been literally directed three times by God. He was taken along the first two times by Terah, then Abraham. But now when on his own, he compromises the destination. It's interesting. Terah and Abraham, he followed along with them because he had them, you know, bringing the households. But here he is has the ability. He now look, he's not taking a whole bunch of stuff with him either. And but what he's saying is, I can't go there, I want to go here instead. So his choice is compromise. To compromise the destination that was told to him by an angel. I mean, that's a serious that's serious trouble. Meanwhile, the victory of conviction, the part of the story that we look at 
in comparison of Abraham being the faithful one. Abraham had never stopped dwelling in his tents in the highlands and therefore was inherently safe from the destruction that was happening in the valley. He was inherently safe. He was dwelling in the tents, which are temporary dwelling places, because his life is not about the earth. His life was about serving God. So again, folks, what's my choice when I'm supposed to flee to godliness? Do I have the genuine conviction of faith to follow through even as the Lord guides me? Does my own fear of what may happen along the way alter my destination? Okay. Is my fear overcoming the command of God? That's really, really an amazing question that we have to ask ourselves. There's one more hesitation here, Jonathan, and that's in Genesis. And you think, okay, that's enough already, but no, there's one more. Uh, Genesis 19, verses 23 through 26. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. So the destruction comes. Okay, it comes because it was going to come and Lot knew it was going to come and it is as complete as it was promised to be. Verse 26. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Okay, that's a sad part of the story. Okay, now the fact that Lot's wife is not named brings us to a possible conclusion that maybe she's representing a part of the hesitation of Lot himself. For those with faith but a lack of conviction, a part of them, in a sense, denies as they flee the sinful world reluctantly. And the fact that you notice it says, but his wife from behind him. So Mm. she was lagging behind because, you know, she was still attached. So she's fleeing reluctantly. Lot continues to a better place, a place of tiny sin, but he doesn't continue to the place he was told to go, the place of godliness, the place of the mountains. So this is a powerful hesitation. Lot's wife ends up dying as a result of that hesitation. Now, we get through that part of that tragic part of the story, and now we go to Genesis 19, 27 to 29, and see it from Abraham's perspective. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land ascending like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. So you have Abraham observing from a distance the destruction that he knew was going to come because there were only, there was really, really just very, very few righteous at all. And it's amazing that God answered his plea. If there were any righteous, would you save them? And guess what he did? Yep. Lot, he sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow. So again, we have the comparison of Lot and the, to Abraham. And we look at that in our own Christian lives and say, which way am I thinking in any particular instance of my life? What's the tragedy of not quite for Lot? Lot did flee Sodom and the destruction, but suffered great loss in the process. He left a part of him behind as he fled. See, see, Lot's hesitation here, pictured by his wife, 
shows a double-minded attitude. I'm running away, but I'm really attached to that which I'm running from, and I'm torn. And because we're torn, sometimes we lag behind the pace we're supposed to keep, and it costs us dearly. Meanwhile, the victory of conviction for Abraham is what? Abraham sees the destruction from afar. God remembered Abraham in two ways. First, he did rescue any righteous from destruction. Second, the birth of the promised seed was announced before the destruction, reminding us of God's plan of the lamb being slain before the foundations of the world. So, you know, you've got this this thing where, you know, God, like you said before, did rescue the righteous. Mm -hmm. And God also had promised Isaac to be the promised seed, which is the picture of Jesus, which is the Savior of all. And, you know, in the New Testament, it says that Sodom and Gomorrah will have an easier time in the day of judgment than the cities of Capernaum and a few others. Because they saw the miracles of Jesus and did not uh, turn. Right, whereas Sodom and Gomorrah were just plain evil. And if they had seen those miracles, they would have seen some, they perhaps done something different. So they give right. you hope. There's hope. This is not the end. This is just the end of that, that particular period of evil, but not the end of those people. Because Isaac, picturing Jesus, shows us the other side. So that's part of the victory of conviction. That's the reward is to have that hope. What's my choice, though, when faced with these things? Do I ever um, suffer loss as a result of my own half-hearted fleeing from the bad choices of my own life? When I finally decide to go, is it with conviction or confusion? (laughs) Folks, ask yourself that question when you have the hard choices in life. When you've got to walk away from the darkness and toward the light, is it with conviction or confusion? We've got to ask ourselves. Imagine being Lot and trying to process what just happened. How do you put it all in order? So Lot escapes, even though he goes kicking and screaming. Does he ever get to the mountain? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. You know, it's interesting, the last recorded event in Lot's life which followed this was heartbreakingly sad. Lot and his two daughters finally do go to the mountains. And you think, great! But here's what happens. There he is defiled by his daughters while he is drunk on consecutive nights. They both later beget sons. They become pregnant. These sons became the Moabites and the Amorites, then they were both very rebellious peoples against God and against the nation of Israel. And Jonathan, even in that small part of the story, he finally arrives, but still it's in a polluted manner. Oh, how sad. You know, and, and, the, and the other sad thing is, this is the last time you hear about Lot. You don't hear, there's a, not another word spoken of him after that. And you wonder, well, what happened to him? I don't know. But there's a tragedy here of not quite. How is it that they were given the ability to escape from destruction and they stooped to such degradation 
and sin. His, we're talking about his daughters. And again, the tragedy of not quite and the story of Lot here is what? Even though Lot finally did get to the mountain, the damage had been done. The vile circumstances that his daughters had been living in led them to faithless actions, which led to a faithless legacy. Our faithless actions can lead to faithless legacy. Is that the way you want your Christianity to unfold? See, Jonathan, this is why the the story of Lot is so incredibly powerful as a wake-up tool for us. To understand, it ends up not just being about me, but it ends up about being the legacy that I leave behind me. What will I leave? On the other side of it, speaking of legacy, let's look at the victory of conviction regarding Abraham. Abraham had remained faithfully convicted and was blessed with the son Isaac, the seed of promise, through which all the families of the earth would be blessed. So you look at the legacy that each was given. Lot's was something that you want to forget. Abraham's was someone that you could never forget because his, 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 his son Isaac gave birth to Jacob. The 12 tribes of Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And Jesus Christ comes from that lineage and he's the savior of the world. That's the legacy you want to be a part of. So again, this is not just about my everyday here and now. It's about my legacy. What's my choice? Am I in a place in my walk of discipleship that leaves an open door to a legacy of anything less than spiritual obedience and sacrifice? Do I leave the door open in my own life for other things to come in? That's what happened a lot. And he did it again and again and again. Are we going to be like Lot or are we going to be like Abraham? We have to make these choices on a regular basis. One last uh, soundbite from Mel Robbins and her uh, talk on this one brain hack backed by science will change your life. This is her book about, about her book about the five second rule. And it's about, it's about taking action, about being, uh, learning to be decisive and to not just get stuck in the thinking process. All researchers believe that habits come down to one golden rule, and that's this. You can never change the things that trigger you. You can't control your urges or how you might feel, but you can always choose how you behave. If you want to break a habit, once you have a habit, it's always going to be encoded in your brain The only way that you can break it is to replace it with new behavior. There's also something in the research around habits called a starting ritual. A starting ritual is a repeated behavior that you adopt in order to trigger a new habit. So this is, this is such a powerful statement. You can't change the things that trigger you. You can't. They're going to always trigger you, but you can choose how you respond to them and what you do. And that is, you know, Lot had obviously a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity. Can't change that, but you can choose how to, how to deal with it. And he had the tools around him to be able to make better choices, but he simply didn't. 
We can also have the tools around us to make better choices. The question is, will we? Even if we are faltering, there's still hope that we can again find our own conviction. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, and these are the verses that are surrounding, or 7 is the theme scripture, but 8 and 9 are, are the context of our theme scripture. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous men, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented or touchstone day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So the question is here is, do I want to be rescued? And Jonathan, it's interesting, in verse 8 of that scripture, it said, because you said something weird, it said, you know, he felt his righteous soul tormented, and then you said touchstone. The, the Greek word for that word tormented, it, the word for word translation means touchstone, Rick. Now, a touchstone was a a stone that, that uh, people in the marketplace kept with them, they sort of kept it under their table, so when somebody gave them money, and maybe it was a foreigner, and they didn't know the person for goods, and they gave them a silver or gold coin or whatever it was, they could take this stone out and rub the edge of that coin on the stone, and the streak, the color streak would determine whether that was a legitimate coin or if it was a fake. So what this is doing, this is saying that his righteous soul was tested to see what it was made of. And yes, he was righteous, but he fell again and again and again. And the point here, Peter is saying, God can rescue the godly uh, from, from temptation. He can, if we let him. And that's one of the big lessons here. Do I want to be rescued? Because Jonathan, you know, a lot of times we get into situations and we'd rather not. And we'll rationalize our way around it and around it and around it. And we're kind of like comfortable. Lot was comfortable. You see what happened. Okay. Mm, trouble. Okay. So, you know, uh, Lot's experiences show us that we are also susceptible to not quite. And that's been one of the themes throughout this entire podcast in the story of Lot. Not quite. So first, what we need to do is we need to focus on conviction. And we've talked about not quite, and being and having faith, but not having the conviction that's based on faith. Jude chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, helped us to put that part into some perspective. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, Rick, I have a question on that verse. What does that look like, waiting anxiously? It's, it sounds like a contradiction. Uh, aren't we supposed to uh, be anxious for nothing? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and I'm glad you, you brought that up because, you know, waiting anxiously does sound like a, a contradiction because it should be waiting patiently, right? Right, that's what you think. But the idea of waiting anxiously is waiting knowing that God's providence will be bigger and better. So there's an anxiousness to see his providence unfold, and I think inherent in that is the patience to wait for what it is and how it's shown to us. And so that's what I think waiting anxiously means. Waiting because you just, it's, it's, it's like exciting to see how God's providence works it out. Sometimes his providence drags us through the mud. Mm. The question is, can I look at that experience and still see it with the gratitude of God got me through this so I could learn that much? 
So that's what I think waiting patiently means there, or anxiously rather. So, you know, so we focus on conviction. We have to have faith that is convicted. It's, another, it's one thing to say, I believe. It's another thing to live, I believe. So second, with that conviction, if we have it, we can reach out to those whose conviction might be faltering. And that's in Jude chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And Rick, I love how that ended. You hate the garment, but not the person. Yeah. You hate the sin, but not the sinner. Exactly. You know, snatching them out of the fire. And on some and some maybe you can't do that. Maybe they're 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 destined to be soiled for a while. And you know, have mercy with fear, you but you don't hate that individual. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we make horrible choices, and sometimes the consequences of those horrible choices are even worse than the choice itself. If we are truly Christ-like in our desire to help one another, we're always willing to reach out the hand and help those others up, help them dust off, help them find their feet, help them, help them find their strength and their, and their way forward again. Lot just didn't listen to that. He had angels there to help him. And he just was too much stuck with what was rather than to be able to see what could be. There's a really, really great quote here from Tim Ferriss, Jonathan, before we get to our last scripture. What we fear doing most is usually what we most need to do. Yeah. What we fear doing most is usually what we most need to do. And, and, and again, folks, the story of Lot helps us to see that. And we see how many times he fell down and how many times he hesitated and how many times it was not quite and how many times the decisions were just not where they should have been. To clearly observe our own conviction, we need to clearly observe what we are building that conviction with. And 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15 is a great text about the building blocks of our Christian faith. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on and it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So, Jonathan, in this scripture, there's, there's, there's two groups of building materials. That's right. Gold, uh, silver, and precious stones. That's oh, one. Okay, and, and the that, other okay, is wait, wait, before you get to the other, I mean, let's think okay. about this. Gold, silver, and precious stones, things that are of incredible, lasting value. They're just, they're, they're permanent, okay, versus... Wood, hay, and straw. Okay, things that are going to rot and just fall away. What do I build my Christian life on? And the verse says, each man's work will become evident because the day will show, it will reveal what you're, what you're building with. Abraham, gold, silver, precious stones. Lot, wood, hay, and straw. And it, and it shows, it shows. So just, just several short lessons from the tragedy of not quite as we begin to pull the story of Lot 
to a to to a closing point here. What's Do not go along just because you can. Go along with the conviction that this is your clear path. You know, Lot went along with Terah. Lot went along with Abraham. But it sounds like, and I don't know this for sure, but so this my own speculation is that Lot just went along because he was going along for the ride. He didn't own the travel. He didn't own the getting away from the idolatry. He just went along because it was a convenient thing to do. Our Christianity cannot be like that. It has to be full of strength and depth and conviction that this is the road I'm walking because this is the godly road and I want to be godly in every part of my life. So don't go along just to get along. Go along because you're convicted that that is the Christ-like road. Next. Do not allow attachment to what's comfortable be a cause for hesitation. Take your next steps with the conviction of Christ. You know, we talked about that quite a bit throughout the story of Lot. There was a lot of attachment to the city and the house and, and the family and, and all of those things. And, you know, we, do, we all do have earthly attachments. We do. But don't allow our earthly attachment to cause hesitation when it comes to our convictions in Christ. That's the time where those things need to be able to be left behind. And that's hard. Especially, you know, if you worked really hard and you, you know, you, you, you saved your money and you, you bought that, that, that home that you really, really loved. And, and now for whatever reason, you know, maybe you're not supposed to be in that home or whatever. And, and you've got to leave. That's hard. But it doesn't mean that we can't walk away. It doesn't mean that the, the treasures in heaven, spirituality, and we're not talking about riches. We're talking about the spirituality, the being, being with God and Jesus. That is greater than any home or any possession we could ever have. Don't let attachment to what's comfortable keep you from what is spiritual and what is fulfilling. And what's the last one? When given a thus saith the Lord, don't negotiate. Instead, follow as though your life depends on it. Okay, don't negotiate when God's will is saying, go this way and go all the way to the mountain. But, but no buts, just go. That's where the story of Lot, to me, makes such an impact. Is my Christianity Lot-like, or is my Christianity, Christianity Abraham-like? We look at the two next to each other, and we see some really dramatic, dramatic lessons for all of us here. So, Jonathan, as we wrap this up, this has been a lesson from an Old Testament character who made a lot of mistakes, and what we want to do is take that and say, what about me? Do I make those same mistakes in those same areas of my life? Am I a lot or am I an Abraham? Am I going to live the tragedy of not quite or am I going to live the victory of conviction? And folks, if you've lived the tragedy of not quite, it's okay. Get up, ask for forgiveness, and walk the road of true faith that has conviction. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It's truly been a wonderful opportunity to talk about what does our Christian life really, really look like. He who hesitates can be really lost. Now think about it. Are you going to allow yourself to continue to hesitate, or are you going to get up and walk the road of Jesus? Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in 
iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about what was Jesus' top priority? Talk to you then. <laughs>